Psalm 61 details the prayer of a banished soul. The prayer of a banished soul. David, the author, according to the superscription, finds himself banished in the wilderness. Now, we don't know the particular time this may refer to. It could be while he was on the run from Saul. It could have been later on in his reign as king when he fled from his son Absalom. But either way, he finds himself banished in the wilderness. He is overwhelmed by his current situation. And despair begins to set in. But instead of continuing to feed his despair, David prays to God. As he prays, he finds strength in God as his rock. He finds encouragement in God's promises. No doubt many believers, perhaps even you listening, find yourselves in your own wilderness. And like David, you are overwhelmed. You are beginning to despair. In these times of banishment, we too, like David, can pray and find the same strength and encouragement. So let's go through this prayer, beginning in verses 1 and 2. We'll see David's refuge. Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. As David calls out to God to listen, he is far from Jerusalem. He's far from the tabernacle where God dwells. He's out in the wilderness. He says, I'm making my call from the end of the earth. And he notes that his heart is faint. His, that word for faint there is overwhelmed. He longs to be back home in Jerusalem. He longs for the security and peace of his house. But what does he pray? He prays that he would be led to the rock that is higher than I. Now certainly we could define the term rock here as a fortress. Uh, and certainly that would be a legitimate translation. It could also be translated as a defensive position. And again, that would be legitimate as well. However, I do not believe that the rock that he's referring to is a literal fortress or defensive position. Instead, he is using that Hebrew term to describe God. In Isaiah 17, verse 10, God is described as the rock of your stronghold. In Psalm 31, verse 3, God is addressed as my rock and my fortress. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 15, God is called the rock of salvation. And so, he's requesting that he would be put in the security of God, the God that is higher than him. God, I need you to be my defense. I need you to be my rock. David wants God to take his overwhelmed heart and make him secure. You know, this is one of the great benefits we have as we pray. Because even when we're overwhelmed, we can pray. And know that when we call out to God, He will hear us and answer us. And even in the most overwhelming of situations, God can give us peace. He'll give us comfort. He'll give us security that we would not have known without prayer. Look at David's retreat in verses 3 to 5. For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings, Selah. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. 
Okay, so here we see David now says, okay, I'm secure in the rock. I'm secure in God. I found refuge there. Now he confesses his faith. God, you're my refuge. You're my shelter. Notice he's a tower of strength. Okay, again, it's not that God's a physical tower, but again, David is using things that he is familiar with and the people are familiar with in their surroundings and comparing God to those things so that we can see the might or the power or the strength of God. Just as one would hold themselves up into a tower to, to, to fend themselves against the enemy, so we can hold ourselves up in God. In Proverbs 18.10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Do you find safety in the strength of God, in the power of God? Do you run to Him when trouble comes? We can find safety in those troublesome times. See, God is not only a fortress of security, but notice here, He is also the object of David's worship. Let me dwell in your tent forever. David wants to dwell, abide in, God's tent or tabernacle forever. In other words, he wants to be in the place of worship for all time. He wants to continually be in a place where he can give adoration and praise to God. And I find that it's fascinating because we're already beginning to see the effects of this prayer. Here's a man despairing and, and uh, who, who's been banished to the wilderness. And, and as he prays to God, you know, he, he, he begins to get a different look at things. As he prays to God, he, he takes note of the fact that, yes, okay, God, you're my protection, you're my defender, you're my rock, you're my refuge. But, Lord, I need more than just deliverance from this affliction Lord, put me in a place where I can worship you. Then he returns to the theme of safety. We'll come back to his purpose in wanting to be in the tabernacle. But he returns to the theme of safety. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Okay, now, this is another what we call an anthropomorphism. That is, uh, David takes something from the animal kingdom, from the material world, and applies it to God. Now, does God have wings? No, God does not have wings. He uses this illusion of wings and in and, and thinking of a mother hen who gathers her chicks under her wings to protect them and, and, and applies that to God to show that God nurtures us like a mother hen. He gathers us like chicks under his wings. Now, that's an image repeatedly found throughout the Psalms. But what David, is, what David is trying to convey here is that he needs God's presence in his life. He needs to feel God's presence. And then he confesses in verse 5 that God has heard his vows. Now, a vow here is a vote of sacrifice that David has promised to offer. Uh, he has vowed to affirm that God is his God. He has vowed and affirmed that he, the Lord is the one whom he will worship. He has vowed, he has affirmed that it is the Lord in whom he finds strength. And so he now goes on to affirm that God has given him the heritage of those who fear his name. Now the heritage here is the promised land. 
That's part of David's inheritance. And it belongs to all those who fear the name of the Lord. Now that's specifically referring to Israel. Now we move to David's reliance in verses 6 to 7. You will prolong the king's life. His years will be as many generations. He'll abide before God forever. Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. All right, now David's confessing that God is going to give him a long life. In fact, David lived uh, into his 70s. And for that period of time was a long life. His years will be as many generations. Now... This is a unique statement because is David referring to himself or is he making a prophecy under the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit? Obviously, David died in his 70s. He didn't uh, live for many generations. This is not a reference to David, but a reference to his royal line. Again, in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 16, part of the Davidic covenant is that David would be given a, a seed who would sit on the throne forever. David was going to have a royal lineage that was going to manifest itself in the Messiah, in the anointed one. And so I believe the ultimate reference here is to the Messiah. And obviously we know that uh, Jesus came as the Messiah and that he was the son of David or David's son. And there will be a day when his kingdom will be established on earth and he will reign from that kingdom and he will sit upon the throne of David and he will be the fulfillment. David continues saying that that king will abide before God forever. Now the word abide there means to sit on his throne before God forever. Now again, is David referencing himself or another? I believe he's again referencing the coming Messiah. That Messiah, who is God, the Son of God, will sit on the throne forever. And then he says, God, grant mercy and truth to preserve or keep the king. Uh, again, the petition here is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Appoint loving kindness and truth or mercy and truth to preserve or to keep him. Again, it's not a reference immediately to David as much as it is. Now, in a sense we can certainly say, well, there, there's an immediate fulfillment in that God did preserve David. And, you know, what if David had died in the wilderness? Uh, what would have happened? Uh, well, God was not going to allow David to die in the wilderness because God had already promised him that that lineage would continue. So we definitely hear, yes, David enjoyed God's mercy. He enjoyed God's truth. But more so, uh, mercy and truth are, are the objects of God's nature that preserve the Son as the king. And the, these, these things will be fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the ultimate uh, fulfillment of God's mercy and the ultimate fulfillment of God's truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who abides God before God forever. Why? Because he is God. Okay? And when we submit to King Jesus, we dwell in his kingdom, and guess what? We receive mercy and truth. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 tells us that in him, that's Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We are complete in him. 
Now we close with verse 8. So I will sing praises to your name forever, that I may pay my vows day by day. David's made this oath. He's made this promise. What was that promise? What was that vow? To affirm God's goodness, to affirm his worship of God, that God is his refuge, so on and so forth. He says, I'm going to sing praise to your name forever, that I may pay my vows day by day. So again, we're seeing that what is the vow, the vote of sacrifice here? It's to praise God. He promises to praise God. Uh, again, as David closes his psalm, he's promising God to praise him. He will uh, number himself amongst the worshipers who will eternally delight in singing praise to God. Now, it's interesting. What is he praising? What particular thing? It says, your name. Now, the word name there in Hebrew is unique because it implies somebody's personhood, somebody's presence, somebody's preeminence, somebody's power. So what is David praising God? He wants to praise God for his personhood. Who is God? Okay. He wants to praise God for his presence. Where is God? He wants to praise God for his preeminence. How does God reign? Who is God over? And he wants to praise God for his power, his might, his ability. This is an act of worship. And so we see a man burdened, defeated, depressed, banished to the wilderness. And yet, as he prays, God moves upon him, rescues him, restores him, and in turn, David praises his name, his personhood. David praises God's presence, his preeminence, and his power. If you find yourself in the wilderness, Maybe you're in a wilderness, no fault of your own. Maybe you're in a wilderness because of your fault. Regardless, you find yourself in the wilderness. You're banished, if, it's, if you will. Don't despair. Don't give up. Rather, turn to God and pray. Pray for Him to rescue you. Pray that God would deliver that he would be your refuge, your rock. Pray that he would hide you under his wings. And as you pray, God will answer. Now, if you found yourself in the wilderness and, and, and you're sitting there saying to yourself, but God's rescued me, now don't forget then your responsibility. Your responsibility now is to praise God. Praise God for who he is. Praise God for what he does. Praise God for where he is. Let's praise God. Father, Lord in heaven, we want to pause here and praise you for who you are, for your personhood. You are the Father. You are the Son. You are the Holy Spirit. And as a Father, you created us. You lead us. You direct us. You're our King. As the Spirit, you comfort us, lead us, and guide us. And as the Son, you laid down your life for us. We praise you that you are three persons and yet one God. Father, we praise you for your presence. Father, not only do you dwell in the heavens above, but you are also present everywhere. There is nowhere we can go that you are not present. More than that, Lord, we praise you that your Holy Spirit dwells within us. He is present in us. 
Father, we praise you for your preeminence. I thank you that you're above all and over all. That, Father, there is no one greater than thee. And because of that, when we cry out to you, you are able to deliver you. Nothing and no one can separate us from your love because of your preeminence. And finally, Father, we thank you for your power. We thank you that you are the all-powerful God, that there is nothing too hard for you. There is nothing that exists outside of your power. While there is nothing new under the sun, Lord, your mercies, your grace, your might, your strength, they're all new every day. And so, Father, we thank you for who you are, for where you are, for what you've done. We pray in your Son's precious name. Amen.